on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown podcast. Uh, before we start this week, we would like to extend our condolences to the family and loved ones of young Isla Caton and to ham, uh, hammers everywhere who have been hit by today's sad news. Obviously, not been the best day in terms of that front. We'd also like to wish our best to legendary club photographer Stevie Bacon too, who's having a tough time in hospital at the moment. Um, thoughts the, the West Ham family are with you. Good, sir. All the best. Um, it may seem trite to go on and continue into a podcast, but sometimes the mindless and the unnecessary are what we have when the crueler realities of life face us. So I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, Jack Elderton and Callum Goodall. A good evening as we go on to discuss what we will be looking at this evening, which is a last minute defeat at Old Trafford and some transfer tittle-tattle as we go into the last week of the transfer window. Um, I'd like to again point listeners in the direction of the excellent articles these kids are producing onto their 25th day of daily transfer target talk available every day uh, on Knees Up Mother Brown, uh, KUMB.com. If you would like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to any of the following, the email address podcast at KUMB.com, the forum thread for those of you who visit us there, and you can tweet the boss at on twitter at kumb.com that's all letters as ever no punctuation um we go to manchester united then uh, the game at old trafford jack and not well not not everything we needed in a, a chase for the top four or any european football really no um i did say on the last podcast that this was a great platform uh, for us to recover um and that we needed that rather than a game against someone uh, nearest the bottom. I think it was that. And um, I think it did uh, not quite raise levels, but gave um, us a, an opponent around us that we uh, needed to, to take points from. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't done that. Um, it wasn't the best performance. Uh, it's the worst possible result. Uh, but there are positives within it. And um, I think definitely glad now to be at the break uh, because I think everyone can see how much we we really need that. Yes, yeah, arguably a performance where tiredness came into things again, Callum. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Jack's uh, right to point out the legginess, um, and that's something we're going to come on to later on. Um, but I think the break has definitely arrived at the right time. But the news that Antonio is going to be going out to Jamaica for three internationals has arrived at the wrong time. Uh, yeah. He arguably is the one player that probably needs a rest more than anyone. So you just got to hope they look after him out there and that the travelling doesn't take it out of him too much. But, um, you know, you can't you can't do anything about it. And um, I wouldn't want to deprive him of the opportunity to represent his country either as, as much as it would be beneficial to us. I think it's, it would be unfair. I think so many footballers dream of that, don't they? So. I, I, I presume he will be uh, left out of the game. And our first game back is the, the weekend after... At- Kidderminster you would assume he wouldn't be I mean it'd be quite nice to have him there just in case but you'd assume he'd be rested and waiting up for a trip to Watford which could well be 
uh, a game against Roy Hodgson, and who'd have thought we'd even <laughs> say that again this season? Um, it, it, it was one of those. It was one of those that really hit hard. It was a defeat that felt painful. The Leeds one felt painful. This felt painful in a possibly different way. Uh, the last minute, obviously, the last basically the last kick doesn't doesn't help that. That is it always a bit of a kicker to the gut in that respect. But there there were lots of positives, Jack. Yeah, I think I think there were uh, things within the performance that I, certainly I don't think as a team performance that you could say would, would you draw out as a as, as major positives going forward. But definitely individuals coming back um, making a big difference to the way we look as a side. Um, I think particularly when you're looking at the defence, how how spotty that has been in recent weeks and and how much we've complained about it. Um, and definitely we look to have a lot more stability in that area. Uh, which is a huge, huge um, development for us going forward. I think, you know, conceding two goals a game and conceding four or five chances a game is completely unsustainable for us to be able to to, to get points on the board. And here, actually, we limited Man United to very little. Um, and I think one of their better chances would have been the Fred chance before the goal sort of early in the second half. And that's more of a, of a, of a mix up between uh Rice and Dawson and a, and a quite fortunate ricochet and, and actually without that I'm struggling to think of too many excellent chances they had they had the one from the corner as well but in terms of open play I don't really think that they threatened us all that much and I think that's a really big positive going forward um, I don't you know there's not necessarily the greatest barometer to use Man United at the moment because they're not the most free-flowing attacking unit but um, they're a team in the top half of the table the team in and around us that we've um, managed to limit and, and hopefully that will provide some confidence for that sort of defensive and defensive midfield unit um, going forward into into the games we've got coming up um, because we we really, really need to get some form back on. If I remember correctly, it was the, the game, the League Cup game earlier in the season where they their, their chances, it wasn't chances, the value of their shots, I think it was the first time you kind of taught me about the kind of average average chance basically the, the the quality of it and it felt similar again at the weekend Callum they weren't really make they were they were having often shots there was a volume of shots going in but probably from ranges we were quite happy about yeah I think so and I think part of that is probably with who's come back into the team you've got Suchek who is a accomplished shielder and and someone you absolutely would much rather have sitting in front of that back four than Lanzini, which we talked about on the last episode of the podcast. Um, and that gives some much more confidence um, and also ability uh, in that sense. And then obviously the return of Zuma was was much needed and um, it was obvious to see what an improvement he made despite not being completely fit yet, clearly. Um, but a half-fit Zuma is, is much better than a fully fit Diop at present. Uh, and I think probably, I think it was within the first five minutes it became really obvious um, how integral both Suchek and Zuma are because I think Dawson misplaced a pass onto Fernandez, and him and Greenwood were bearing down on goal and it looked at least at the start of the attack to be a, an almost certain shot on goal at least but then Suchek and Zuma kind of teamed up and chased Greenwood down. Suchek did really well to press him to force him to cut back onto his um, well I think he probably would have cut back onto his preferred left foot anyway but um, meant he couldn't get the shot off early and then by that time Zuma was back to make the tackle so both of those within the first five minutes showing why they're so integral to our defence. That was really where I was going to go first I think um, it would have been the return of Zuma I think I ended up giving him an 8 out of 10 just because having watched Issa Diop for about six weeks you end up kind of overjoyed at seeing a uh, a capable defender, Jack, but it's it, it is the first kind of talking point. The the thing people would have noticed on the team sheet as well first. That was really good news at, at two o'clock. 
yeah, massively uh, gave us some hope going into the game. I was really positive after seeing the lineup. I, I think even Ariola coming in, actually, I know Fabianski's, I think it's COVID, isn't it, that, that kept him out of this one. But um, but Ariola coming in was a big plus for, uh, for me as well. I think Fabianski uh, could have done a lot better on, on the goals in the Leeds game. And um, and Ariola, maybe, maybe that time has come. I think we've talked a lot about it this season so far, and we've had a lot of back and forth about it. And generally, my position has been that Fabianski hasn't really done enough wrong to lose the spot. And Ariola, I'm not sure, has really done enough right in the in the in the in the games he's had to to prove that he deserves the spot. But um, but here, the combination of Ariola and Zuma and the sort of the general defensive solidity uh, compared with previous weeks. Um, tends to make me feel that, that that might be the best way to go um, going forward. So so those two coming in was a real positive for me. Sujek obviously back as well. And and yeah, Zuma uh, quite rightly pointed out that not quite fully fit, didn't necessarily have the fluency in possession um, that, that we'll hope he'll, he'll get back to. He's not quite comfortable playing on that side, but but he is much better than he was against Man United. Um, but yeah, just that covering ability is such a huge thing. It's such a huge thing for us because generally the other centre-backs we've got at the club at the moment are going to make a mistake with, with, with Obona out. So one, one of Dawson or Diop, they're going to make mistakes in, in games and actually they're not that brilliant at, at covering things individually. And he's got that kind of athleticism to to get back and, uh, and cover things and actually picks his tackles really well. And I, for example, one of the things that I really liked, um, which... Some some Man United fans, I'm sure, will claim it was a penalty. I, I really like the challenge on on Ronaldo um, because Ronaldo is soft to go down, and there's absolutely nothing in it. So you know, it's getting tight to him to not allow him the space to turn and get a shot off um, or to to assess things properly. And I think that's that's exactly the kind of and he, he looks so comf- um, confident and comfortable doing it. You know, if you imagine Diop in that situation, it's like panic stations. He just looks very calm um, in challenging situations. So that really really helps. Yes, uh, I think it was described on BBC Radio later on as having both arms around the player and kicking him. Oh, they, they thought it was a penalty, which I... <laughs> I, I, I was not my view at all. If, um, if the standard of penalty that you get as those teams is uh, looked at on the Diego Jota scale, then it's, it's hard to argue that anything isn't a penalty, I guess. Um, it, it, was, it was an impressive game, wasn't it, Cal, for Zuma? Even... even Though it wasn't as impressive as he well could be, he wasn't at his best. He was clearly, you know, first game back from a, pro- a proper injury as well. It's a muscle injury. It's probably one yeah, yeah. to get used to kind of trust and confidence in as well. But it's just a step up in class. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and the numbers, the numbers confirm that as well. Um, like we say, a non, not fully fit Zuma has come in and won one hundred percent of his defensive duels, um, reduced the number of ball losses in defence. I think Diop against Leeds. Uh, had eight ball losses and Zuma only had five against United. Um, so that sort of concentration and composure at the back is perhaps what we've been missing most. I think uh, particularly in possession, that that calmness, whereas Diop uh, has been quite frantic and uh, often turns over possession in dangerous areas. Um, and I think there's still, right, uh, as you say, more to come. Um, Zuma's passing was below his season average, but I think that's probably him uh, trying to get a feel for the team that he's come back into because uh, there's changes in that defence. Uh, I think last time he was fit, I think Sifal was probably out. So he's playing with Johnson and uh, the centre-back pairings were often changed and he had Fabianski behind him. So um, fluency will come with that uh, if that's the defence that he's going to be surrounded by. And I think I agree with Jack. I think the time for Ariola to come into the team is probably now. Um, I think Fabianski has been had a really good start to the season and perhaps 
didn't do anything that warranted being dropped. But the performance against Leeds, uh, he started to sign, show signs of his age. And uh, there's just a lack of pace and a lack of haste coming off his line. And I thought that was one thing that Ariola. I don't think he was actually tested much at all. Um, he did outperform his uh, expected conceded goals, which is always nice. Uh, um, but I think there was one moment where he came, I think it was a free kick that had been whipped in and he came quite far off his line to claim it in the air. And that's something I've always questioned uh, Fabianski about is he's often quite reluctant to come and claim claim balls. Uh, he'd rather stay on his line and, and hope for his defenders to get there and make a save. And often he does, he often has. Um, but having someone who's more assertive in those situations, uh, I think will be really beneficial um, going forward. I can't work out if I actually think his kicking was better than Fabianski or whether he just has an aesthetically pleasing technique compared to Fabianski. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the latter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, does, he does have an... It's, it's something about he looks like he knows, which sometimes Fabianski looks like he's... Bit Sunday League kicking a ball out, but I think it might be you're, I'm falling for the uh, the grace of approach. But what you did you did mention earlier, which I thought was important. I, I, I'll get Jack's opinion on Suchek as well. Return. Yeah, I think just the, the the having that added protection in front of the defence again, having that sort of comfortability uh, facing challenging defensive scenarios, um, especially when you're looking at recoveries uh, and things like that. We saw how exposed Lanzini was in that position. Um, not just not having the physical um, skill set uh, or, or build or anything to, to be able to compensate in these situations. You know, I think he does a really good job um, for someone as small as he is playing in that position, but uh, to have someone with Suchek's height and strength uh, and a general reading of the game and also his stamina to get up and down just, just adds so much in, in into that area of the pitch and, and just briefly wanted to touch on, on the, on the two things before we were talking about with, with Zuma, I think, you know, I just wanted to sort of say about the calmness, generally setting the tone for everyone else as well. We talked, I mean, I talked about uh, Diop being sort of like the Yannick Balassi of centre-backs a few episodes ago uh, and that kind of sort of staccato nature of the way that you build up and, and, and the way it sets the tone for people around you and the kind of anxiety on the ball and the game was boring. The Man United game yeah. was boring and having someone like Zuma in there allows it to be boring. It would never have been boring if you had Diop and Dawson in there because you just have that chaos thing every time you start uh, your first kind of, of possession. That is the kind of faint, uh, with faint post, I suppose, a compliment that really damns Diop. It's always interesting when you watch it, Diop. It's a horror film, interesting. The, the, the Palace game, the Leeds game, these games are just they're chaotic. There's no real uh, rhythm or structure to them. And, and um, it was nice to watch, frankly, it was nice to watch a boring game again to say, OK, the defence is just confident right now. It's comfortable dealing with, with what it's dealing with. We can set the tone in the way that we want to. Yeah, we didn't attack as well as we, we know we can, but that level of confidence really helps. And the other thing on, on, on Ariola, not on his kicking, but definitely on uh, the assertiveness that Cal touched on. I had noticed in the few games prior that I'd seen someone, uh, Dawson actually turning around a few times and looking at Fabianski like, where's my shout? And yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that had started to become a real problem and it's lack of sort of um, assertiveness when he's dealing with situations, balls in, in, in difficult areas, but also just sometimes letting a centre-back know that they've got the time on the ball to, to take a few more seconds. So the combination of having that from behind, I think Ariola is, is much more of a communicator and then having Zuma, someone who's much more comfortable on the ball, just really, really helps um, and, and allows for a boring game like the, like the game the other day. And yeah, I was, I was just to touch on Suchek, what the Suchek thing again allows, I presume, what was more of our favourable team, which is then pushing Lanzini into more of, more of a ten. He doesn't he doesn't really sit as high up. He kind of joins in that midfield 
So again, which again offers us more control, which probably again also helps with that kind of that, that brilliant brilliance in boringness that we I guess yeah. that we had in that game. Um, yeah, one thing I noticed against United, uh, which again will have added to the boringness definitely, um, is that against Leeds I pointed out the how noticeable Suchek's absence was in build up because he has this tendency to come deep and offer the centre backs an option. Um, almost like a third centre-back, but slightly higher up uh, as an outball, and then it allows to create more space around him. And he was doing that against United really effectively, I thought. Um, and it was kind of almost like a bridge between the defence and the midfield. He's not quite uh, an out-and-out midfielder, and he's not quite a centre-back. He's just there in the middle, and then he can turn and, and lay it off to Rice or, or Lanzini or whoever it is else that's around him. Or he can just as easily give it back to the centre-back and wait for more movement to happen as the United players are dragged around following people and creating space for him to turn and run into. So I think that was something that was a real noticeable difference uh, from the Leeds game. And yeah, is, is proof that <laughs> Suchek is uh, absolutely integral to, to the system. Um, as much criticism as he rightly or wrongly is subject to on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> I'm not, I've looked to defend throughout this season. I suppose if we look at positives, you it's, you had it down, if, if, Jack. So I'll, I will go to you as this, this is your kind of, a positive for it was Bowen and Bowen's performance and a continuation of form, which I, I probably questioned that one, I guess. Although whether, what I suppose my answer would be, was it a consistent or was it just showing those bursts where possible that showed that he's still maintaining that form? I think he, particularly in the second half, showed that he was by far the most dynamic member of that front four um, and, and was causing more problems um, than the others. And I... I definitely felt that there was a sense throughout the game and on one that definitely grew, as I said, in the second half that Man United felt that he was the main threat and and the amount of bodies that they were having to commit to that area to, to stop him from being able to take one, two touches and start to face infield where he can start to be a real, real threat to, to opposition defenders. He's so good at receiving the ball, protecting it and then carrying inside. Yeah. Um, and and I think the, the the substitution was a big part of that. Noticing that he was having a, a really big impact on the game, and, and just giving him the help to have someone going beyond to try and to try and pull those sort of two v ones or sometimes three v ones back is, into one v ones for him. Is that why you thought Fredericks was brought on to give that overlap? Yeah, I think Sufal was. I think Sufal really struggled really in the game. I don't think he played with his usual energy. I think um, I think we've seen a sort of lack of quality on the ball in the last couple of games as well. And um, if there's one thing that Fredericks can do is, is he can make those overlapping runs all game. And I think, like I was saying, Bowen is most threatening when you when he's allowed to kind of receive and turn inside and, and find teammates. He's so good at it. And um, if, 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 if Man United are able to get people like McTominay across to him and, and Teller's pushed very tight, it's very difficult for him to turn and find that space. So he's often having to then, I mean, I saw him do it a couple of times in the game, actually. He's receiving and he, he, he dummies to turn inside and then he then turns back and tries to go around on the outside down the, down the touchline. And actually bringing Fredericks on is saying, well, he doesn't need to do that. We can actually just send the runner down the outside to pull Teller's and then to give him the space to be able to do something much more threatening. Um, so it was just like, you felt that at that point in the game, Antonio had sort of run out of energy and in the last half an hour, it was going to be Bowen or no. I mean, it was like, I, Bowen was the only person who looked like he was going to do anything. So it was like bringing Fredericks on was the way of, of, of maybe giving him a 1v1 where he can he can do something and create something for us. And I did just think he, he looked the most likely for a long period of the game. But it was he, the one time 
you really noticed Man United probably stretched was possibly that run down the outside to uh, where Maguire was forced to skive. Skiving, horrible tackle to take him down. And it was possibly yeah. the only time we'd really, st- other than an early Antonio run where he was never in control of the ball <laughs> <laughs> in classic Antonio fashion. Um, because it, it, yeah, otherwise the, the, the attack didn't really function perfectly, did it, Cal? No, no, uh, it didn't. It, it it was very frustrating to watch in the final third, I think. I think the build-up was a marked improvement than, than against uh, previous teams. Um, but it was, unfortunately, when we got there, uh, it was just a, a huge drop-off, um, which was a shame. And I, I think, yeah, Bowen probably was the most threatening. Um, but I don't... I think that's almost the best of a of a bad bunch kind of shout in in the context of the game. But I think it was also credit to United's defence in parts because I think they did handle us quite well. Uh, our left side tends to be the side from which we are are most threatening, and unfortunately for us, Diego Dalot had a, had a really brilliant game and kind of shut everything down on that side. So um, our, our usual out ball wasn't there um, for now. Someone we've we've talked about in previous episodes as being a bit of a shining light in, in um, particularly against Leeds in an otherwise difficult game. Um, and his, his final ball uh, and decision-making at times was uh, quite questionable. I think in the, in the previous two games, he'd had seven passes to the penalty area, which is way more than anyone in the team and considerably more than his season average of three. Um, but against United, he dropped back down to just one. Uh, and the one pass that he did make to the penalty area wasn't successful anyway. Um, and I think probably the biggest sign of uh, the sort of dysfunctioning attack is the complete lack of shots. I think we, we only had six, uh, only one of them uh, found the target, but that one was actually offside and they just played on um, because it didn't come to anything. So I think it just wasn't clicking. Um, whether that's fatigue, whether that's, uh, like I say, United's kind of had us shut down. I don't know. It's difficult to say. Um, but yeah, it was frustrating. There are a couple of position changes in there as well that I think are probably worth talking about in terms of attack influence. If you think Lanzini's been playing in a deeper role and then has been shifted back into the 10, Fornals have been performing brilliantly in a 10 combining with Antonio and doing a lot of the pressing and then he's shifted out left. So you're asking people to do different jobs to the jobs they've been doing in recent weeks in a fixture pileup um, yep. as well. So I, I do think there's a... It's kind of a, 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 a different look to the front four. I think it was the right front four to select, but it's a very different front four to the one we've been playing with in recent weeks. So, you know, I almost feel we've had a bit of chaos ball up front and a bit of chaos ball at the back and kind of both went in the same game and almost feel like it would have been nice if we'd stuck with a chaos ball at the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, I, I've suckered us in from the positives to, to my general negative feeling of, of everything um which leads me to the goal because <laughs> um, you know we're gonna have to talk about it and i suppose talking about kind of and what was a game where we we did we had some possession in good areas or we had chances to make something that that we then wasted rather than wasting the chance we wasted the chance before the chance after arguably if you're if you're looking at it that way uh, the goal kind of starts off in a position where we actually have Lanzini has very good options we we have some possession up the pay, uh, up the pitch late on and could create something uh, kind of tw- 15 seconds later it's in our it's in our own net um, so if we're breaking down the goal you 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 would give a lot of the blame Jack to if we're doing blame and it's a harsh word but you can't I can't think of a better one lots of the blame to Lanzini on that. well I'd attribute the turnover to Lanzini um, and uh, I think I think we were in a uh, unthreatening situation until Lanzini makes the pass that he makes and then suddenly 
you're asking people to make very quick decisions that are very challenging. Both Dawson and Bowen have really difficult uh, decisions to make in split seconds that then lead to a, to a counterattack that United score from. I actually think what you touched on about um, wasting the chance before the chance is really apt here because I, I think this opening with what, 30 seconds to go 35 seconds to go is one of the best openings we've created in the whole match um and i think you know on, on another day lanzini makes the right pass and when maybe we score the winner here because um the options created i think it's really worth giving credit to the to the attackers um antonio came in for a lot of criticism in this game and and, and did look tired in the last half an hour but his role in this is really important and, and the kind of thing that goes unnoticed with strikers because it's all off the ball work um but uh it's bowen who who, who drops in um deeper and draws tellers within the same kind of thing you play to bowen and he's able to carry back and and, and united knew this was a threat so then they stayed one one-on-one with him so that pulls tellers out of position and this is why again evidencing why the substitution to bring Fredericks on was useful because Fredericks is able to go beyond in this situation and the important thing that happens between those two actions is Antonio's movement to the near side of the pitch which draws Maguire across um, and Suchek very um, good at this kind of thing as well responds really well by making a run to the far post which means Varane can't come across because you've effectively got an additional striker so now you've got a growing gap between the two Man United centre-backs and no left-back so Maguire's having to play two positions effectively at this point centre-back and left-back now he can do that if the right winger's not there but if Fredericks makes the overlapping run suddenly you've got a front three versus a front three again um, so Fredericks does make the overlapping one, becomes the right winger, forces Maguire to become the left back. And suddenly Man United are playing with one centre back against two strikers because Antonio drops back onto the last line and makes his run towards the goal. And at this point, the ball's been cycled back to Lanzini under virtually no pressure. And he's got options wide right to Fredericks in a 1v1 with Maguire, where he's totally going to outpace him in the 93rd minute, or an option straight through the middle on his left foot, which couldn't be more simple if you wanted it to be, where he can literally play Antonio straight into a 1v1 with the keeper. Um, and I think it's his mistake here really more than anyone else's. A lot of people have talked about Fredericks. A lot of people have talked about Cresswell, but these are reactive decisions that are always really challenging when you're in a counter-attack, like a 3v3 situation or even a 3v4 situation, really difficult to deal with, particularly in the last minute of a game when people are tired. Um, yeah, and Lanzini's decision really is the easy one um, that, that kind of sets um, the time for the mistakes that then happen. So I think, yeah, he, he should pass forward, even if he's not confident he's going to make it. Just stick it, you know, there's a crossfield switch on or stick it into the corner. Plenty of better decisions than doing what he does, which is turn and play into a recovering press, uh, which gives Dawson about 1.5 seconds to, to make a decision, which he actually does really well with. Um, I managed to get the ball back out to Bowen, but then it's that kind of, I think Bowen, I mean, you can kind of see, if you watch this back, you can see Bowen pointing to the ch- to the options ahead when Lanzini has the ball. And I think Bowen's very well aware that we've just created a really promising opening. So when he tr- does try and bring the ball under control, he tries to take a first touch that's going to be really threatening rather than taking a touch that's going to bring the ball under secure, into secure possession. And that is probably the second big mistake for me, I think. It's a it's sort of that is the naive decision within the whole thing. It's like, okay, the chance is gone, accept that, bring the ball under control, maybe win a free kick or, or, or it goes out for a throw. And if you, if you take the most secure touch you can, he tries to take it on the run um, and loses possession. And then from there, I think it's really, I understand the criticism for the defenders, but I actually think the most important thing is it's really excellent attacking play from United. Uh, Ronaldo taking three touches is brilliant because it draws two. Uh, Martial actually does exactly the same thing, takes two touches inside, which forces both centre-backs to fix. Neither can choose to drop 
because he's coming towards goal. So both have to commit to, to Martial. That means that Cavani, who does really well to stay onside as well, gets the free run round round the outside. And, and Cresswell probably, yeah, can do better at, at tracking the run on the back post. But at the same time, by the time he's in that situation, it's very, very difficult. And if he does make it, he's more than likely scoring an own goal anyway. So for me, that's a, a relatively small mistake compared to the ones that have come before. So I would be more keen to pr- praise United's attacking play once they win the turnover than criticise us. Was, I, I, if, when you talk through that now, I actually, I, my, my frustration with Fredericks does actually ease a touch because he's reacting to very, very good play. I, I slightly don't forgive Cresswell because I think he should be just covering the ankle again it's slightly like I was angry with him for the Leeds goal I just think it's a slight, <laughs> slight level of basics he probably could do but again I suppose I'd rather he smashed it in the net than, than Rashford <laughs> no you're absolutely right I mean these are still mistakes I just why what, what kind of what I'm wanting to say is that there are bigger mistakes that happened before that create the whole situation and I think it's really important to praise United for for doing what they did curse of being a defender I suppose you get kind of the sins of others end up kind of putting you under a lot more pressure but that that is that's the role I guess it was Interesting to talk about Lanzini because he's not. It wasn't a game where Lanzini really looked. I don't know whether it was fit, whether it was he couldn't quite handle the shift in change of role, whether it was just that quality of opposition negates his influence. I don't know, Cal, but he wasn't. He wasn't kind of shining like he had maybe a two three weeks back. I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, it was. I mean, we've we've rightly sung his praises uh, in over the course of the last few episodes, um, and he yeah. I, as much as anyone, was chuffed to see him come back in the team and hit this vein of form. But um, yeah, against United, he really, really wasn't um, up to scratch. Uh, In terms of his duels, he won two out of 14, I believe. Uh, So that's, I mean, that kind of speaks volumes. He didn't win any defensive duels. Uh, I think he won one aerial duel and won one loose ball duel. Um, His passing took a dip as well, which is the one thing that's usually constant for Lanzini is that, um, his passing success rate is usually very high, and it was still it was still respectable. I think I've not got it in front of me, but it was around eighty eight percent. But usually he's about ninety four, so marginal drop off. Um, but I think that can kind of be linked to the to the, uh, the moment that Jack's been talking about is kind of his security and possession almost overcame him in in the run up to the goal in the sense that perhaps he's so concerned with not. Uh, trying that killer pass and, and seeding possession further up the field. He's trying to think so hard about how he maintains possession and plays what he thinks should be a simple pass, but just gets it wrong and, and then leads to the situation um, that, that then results in the goal, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I don't know, maybe needed some rest. I think the fact we only made one sub as well, when I think he was having quite a bad game throughout, to be honest, um, perhaps could have been hooked off and maybe brought on a Vlasic or someone like that. Um, but, you know, that's all in the past. So <laughs> <laughs> It is an area that, I mean, it's an area I've, I've, I I have reservations about. I've, I would have criticisms about. It's one that has come up. It is, I mean, it, the substitutions or lack thereof, it, it can be levelly frustrating. Regardless, I suppose, you have to say, when if we'd have brought on, you know, Noble and Crowell, Noble and Vlasic, Crowell, Vlasic, etc., we we don't have and we will it will be a long time before if we ever do have a squad where you can have the likes of Cavani, Rashford and Marshall that come off a bench and that is in squad combined depth. for the goal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, it was three there for the three there for the goal. It's 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 it sounds you go, oh, that's unfortunate, but it's not unfortunate. It's not it's not bad luck. It is there's a design in conceding late goals to fresh subs who can make things happen. 
Jack. And I guess it's it's something we can't really complain too much about in terms of what this squad is. I think the most upsetting thing with these two games against Man United is that Man United have not been classic Man United all this season, but they've done a classic Man United against us in both games. <laughs> these these last minute goals, and you know, I it was Javier Hernandez used to do it for them. It's that you know that kind of you have when you're that size of club, you've got players you can bring off the bench that are match winners, and we've got good players that we can bring off the bench, but we haven't got, really got match winners. <laughs> we can bring off the bench and, and to have a player as experienced as Cavani and players as good as Rashford and Anthony Martial to bring off the bench. Um, obviously it's going to make a, a, a huge difference. I do think, you know, this was a bit classic conservative Moyes. I think uh, a, a little bit more confidence might've gone a long way here. Lanzini coming off of Vlasic might've been a good substitution uh, generally just for energy um, and also combating the absolute huge amount of mental fatigue in this squad at the moment uh, to bring someone on who's got a little bit of freshness uh, for the last 10 minutes, I think would have helped even from a conservative uh, perspective. Uh, so it was sort of really extreme conservative ways in my view not to bring him on. I think it's just that classic, oh, Lanzini's a bit more secure in possession. Vlasic has given the ball away for a goal last week. I'm just going to leave it as it is. And actually that doesn't work because Lanzini's the person who does the least secure thing in possession and gives the goal away. So um, so yeah, but subsequent games, subsequent games. And, and, and I do think it is important to, to provide that little bit of context in saying that that actually, although yes, we could have better squad depth than, than, than we do right now, we're never going to have Cavani, Rashford and Martial to bring off the bench. That's just not a possibility. That comes from historical dominance. That comes from being Man United 20, 30 years ago is allowing them to have those kind of options. It, it, it was a frustration though that we, and it's it's led to this kind of what's, in the last few weeks have, I've had the what's the point of Crowl question you see in certain certain sections and you it, it it it's a little bit reactive but carries carries some weight i suppose you'd argue noble coming on 100 percent fresh crowd coming on 100 percent fresh they might not be the same as as good as lanzini when they're you know their conditions are exactly the same but they're probably better than four hours and lanzini not having great games and at 50 percent of condition gal yeah i think so um yeah either either any of them really <laughs> could have yeah. come on. It's just that freshness. And and I think not even in terms of uh, their ability to run around the pitch uh, in that sense, but like Jack's already pointed out, the sort of mental freshness of of being alert and, and sort of maybe taking after 80 minutes, it takes you maybe a second longer to to think about what you're going to do next rather than if you've just come on, you're, you're sharp, you're on it. Um, so, yeah, I think that would have made a big difference. I think the, the crowd situation is just bonkers, to be honest. I just don't know what, what we were thinking if we we're just not going to play him. I understand that um, there's a clause in his contract that if he plays X amount of games, then we're obliged to pay the £15 million fee for him. So maybe it's got to a point where Moores is now not seen enough to want to sign him. So he's now hesitant to play him in, in the case we end up lumbered with a player that he doesn't actually want around the club. But I, I don't think he's played... <laughs> unless the clause is like five games, I'm sure you can bring him on for like 10 minutes here and there. He's only I, had a few matches. I can only guess he's thinking that I, I, I can only guess he's thinking he doesn't want to sign him. And if we do get an injury, then he's going to have to use him. So he wants him to be within the quota. Yeah. And when, when he, if he has to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that would like, be my he, logic. He's had, he's had COVID as well. And 
you know, Moyes, there is the other side of the argument. You said Moyes can be very, very cautious in how he introduces new players. And maybe if COVID's taken a month or something like That's that, off development, yeah. there's the possibility. That's fine, though. But no, Noble, Noble existed as well. I mean, <laughs> at that point. I think with a lone player as well, like it's fine taking your time to bed a player in that you've actually bought. But if you've only brought someone in on loan, then you kind of, you, you should only bring in loan players that you're really expecting to be able to make an impact when you need them. Like there's, there's not, there shouldn't really be a bedding in process. I don't think with a loanee. Otherwise, like, what's the point? Well, I, I kind of, it's a bit, of, it's, it's just a funny one, isn't it? Because he went to the Euro saying that Crow was one of his players to look for. Crow was terrible at the Euros. And then mm. I, I don't know whether Moise has just, maybe Moise has just got a closer look. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he's, he's made a point out there. He's, he's, had a, he's had a take. Look at this player. He's let him down and now he's just holding a grudge. And actually it's really <laughs> pathetic. Maybe it's all about, you've ruined his punditry career in 10 years time. I don't know. Um, <laughs> In terms of if you're going to target tiredness, we've looked at the word tiredness. Uh, if I think of tiredness for one West Ham player, I think of, uh, we'll, we've, we've spoken about already, is Mikel Antonio. And he, an interesting, interesting game. I don't, I don't know if I felt he had a bad game or a good game. He just, he, he had one of those games where he, he can do some good things. And he had the off the ball running there was strong for the kind of last chance that wasn't a chance, but then didn't really have the striker's impact either. Jack and it's just the quandary of Mikel Antonio and the quandary of Mikel Antonio is a big to- topic every transfer window obviously yeah it continues to be one of the major talking points on on West Ham forums on West Ham Twitter um, and I understand why it is I, I think the criticism for him in this game was was completely unnecessary I think for the first hour of the match he did a he did a, a positive job of doing doing what he does very well I think he came up against Harry Maguire who you know, might not be the Harry Maguire we knew him to be at Leicester every week for Man United, but he definitely was in this game. I think he was excellent for Man United. And um, sometimes that's, you know, like it's not even a sometimes thing. I just think it's so difficult sometimes to present analysis because because people just latch on to watching 11 players versus training cones. And that's just not football. You know, sometimes you have to, well, you, not sometimes, that's why I said not sometimes, always you have to look at the 22 players on the pitch and Harry Maguire was excellent. He was well, excellent he was. throughout and the 90 I, minutes. You'd argue that he, he, his game suits an Antonio. He's not always the most polished performer himself, Maguire, but he's strong and he's got a turn of pace when he gets going. And Antonio is kind of like that. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, is you want Maguire, you want to catch Maguire at the moment that he turns because the turn in itself is slow. Everything else yeah. is, 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 is fine. Um, but look, I think the last two games, he's come in for lots of criticism. And actually, Pascal Strauch was outstanding for Leeds. Um, and at that point, I thought that was one of the best centre-back performances I'd seen against us all season. And I think Harry Maguire was excellent for Man United. So I think he's come up against two centre-backs in, in, in their best form. Uh, having some of their best games of the season. And I think he still had an impact in, in, in both games. I think against Leeds, he caused problems. And against Man United, he caused problems. I think he made Varane look very uncomfortable every time mm-hmm. he was in a 1v1 with Varane. Um, I think his running in behind Varane caused, caused United a lot of problems. I think his doubling up with Bowen on Tellers at times to, to, to cause issues down that side was very sensible. I think his movement off the ball for long stretches was very good. And then I think what you latch onto really is that by the 60th, 65th minute, the bloke is knackered, quite clearly knackered. And look, that's you can't blame him for not having the fitness as a 31-year-old with an extremely long injury history that's come all the way through non-league. 
for not having the fitness to go 90 minutes three times a week. It's just, or, or, or even week in, week out at Premier League level. It's just not a realistic expectation. And this is a guy that, that, that came to us from Nottingham Forest, started out at Tooting and Mitcham, came to us as a winger, became a fullback and is now playing up front and has scored a boatload of goals for us. Why are we then suddenly turning around and saying, well, because you're not scoring two every week, like you should be like some sort of elite top 10 striker in the world, uh, you're therefore shit. It's just not how it works. Um, your, your striker needs to have an impact on every game. And there was a stretch of this season where he wasn't having an impact on every game. That was around the Arsenal game. That's not what's happening at the moment. He is having an impact on every game. He might not be scoring, but he deserves credit for what he's doing at the moment, which is a, is, is a useful job. And he said it himself. He said it earlier this season. He would like another striker to come in to challenge him because he feels he needs that support. And this was a perfect example of a game where really 60 minutes, he should have come off and someone else should have come on. Or if he didn't have the fitness to go 90, he should have been the last 30 minutes impact substitute that wins us the game. And it's, I, he's, he's, he's getting criticism now, I would feel, not because of him, but because of who isn't there. And yeah. a, a frustration in a fan base that it's the 25th of January as of now to date the podcast. And yeah, cheers for that. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah good luck with the edits. It's not my problem. I'll get going, I'll get going as soon as we finish and get it out by midnight. <laughs> and they'll know. They'll all know now. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's, you know, three plus weeks then of a transfer window. And people <laughs> wanted a striker on the first. It wasn't going to happen. Um, but he is getting. A level of a level of kind of the argument as well doesn't help. He's getting people frustrated because of what he isn't or what he hasn't got with him, and also because there is this argument, and it's a, a fair argument about what you're looking at as, as a striker who is to play alongside, is to play in the same squad as, or to replace Antonio Cal. And it's a it's an interesting discussion around that. I know you've you, when you kind of started months ago when we were talking about the podcast of the things you would look at for Antonio. You are you are looking at a specific type of skill set that he's got. Yeah, it's a very broad one because we ask Lantonio basically to do everything uh, in attack. And I think in in part, that's kind of why the frustration comes, I think, is because we're almost <laughs> setting him up to fail really past the 60th minute mark is because for 90 minutes, we try and run everything through him. And Antonio is consistently involved in the most offensive duels per 90 at West Ham consistently attempting the most dribbles per 90 at West Ham, consistently receiving the most passes per 90 at West Ham. And like, that's fine to do it for 60 minutes, but to, to expect someone like Jack said, with his track history of injuries and stuff to, to be able to be the focal point every minute of every game, every season is, is just un- completely unsustainable. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably the main thing uh, when you're looking uh, to find what is essentially a unicorn in Antonio because there's not many people out there that can do all this to to the level that he can. Um, but yeah, it's just really frequency of output. Um, like offensive duels, he's, con- he's, he's constantly up there uh, in the Premier League uh, and Europe's top five leagues as a striker who is involved so frequently. Um, quite often, some of the best strikers uh, that you'll see are actually involved in like almost half the number of offensive duels because they don't really get involved in the dribbles and they don't they don't really occupy spaces on the flanks. They'll just hover around the centre and wait wait for the teammates to bring the ball to them. Whereas Antonio, like we've seen in recent games, some of his most effective moments have been when he's gone, actually, you know what, the centre-back's doing a number on me today against Leeds. I think he had really 
uh, powerful impact coming in on the left and people were like, oh, why is he out wide? Why is he out wide? And really it's just because he has to do everything. He has to, like, he has to go and hit those channels, but also he can. So like, why wouldn't you? I don't know. It's, but yeah, it, it, it does make it a unicorn because like we said, there's, there's always going to be something that someone can't do that Antonio can do. And then it's like, oh, well, he's not good enough. And I do wonder if perhaps that's why Moyes is taking so long is because he's wasting his time trying to find someone that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not, it's not possible. Is, is that where we are with our recruitment? We have, you, you, if you're looking at this, you have to accept a drop off in certain areas. It, if you're trying to bring someone in, you're not going to get an, an Antonio. You're going to so you're going to have to a compromise somewhere and maybe accentuate the strengths that they have that Antonio, and Antonio is, there is the problem that people get very, very annoyed. They're not saying Antonio is a unicorn because he's the best player in the world. We're saying that he's asked to do a lot and he does very well at doing a lot of things. That doesn't mean, you know, as we've discussed recently, his, his passing hasn't, isn't, isn't always brilliant. And so you're looking at compromising somewhere and maybe accentuating something else. Well, the drawbacks you get with Antonio are his volume of dispossessions and miscontrols per 90, yeah. which are high compared to other strikers, really high compared to other strikers, and, um, and his fitness. So it's not, we're definitely not describing Antonio as a guy who's got everything. What we're saying is that Antonio has drawbacks that we can cope with as a team. Um, and that, that it, I mean, for example, Sebastian Allaire is a great striker, but didn't fit us. It wasn't a good fit for us. And to find a striker who's got Antonio's skill set without the drawbacks of miscontrols or dispossessions or fitness is an impossibility. You're not going to find it. You're going to have to compromise on something with whoever you look for. You either look and go, okay, well, uh, there's two ways of looking at it really is like trying to find someone with similar strengths as Antonio and you kind of, as much like we accept the drawbacks in Antonio's game, you also then accept the drawbacks in someone else's game because you, you're you're prioritising essentially the strengths um, or you find a striker who can be a, a good plan B that uh, is good at the things that Antonio isn't good at but might represent something of a drop-off in dribbles or or offensive duels like we've said but might be a more accomplished finisher or is more secure in possession because his passing's better or stuff like that and it's trying to find that balance um which a lot of the good teams do have because then if you do have that you can start to look at um each game take it game by game and work out oh okay well these are the weaknesses of the opposition. So this is the striker we should use today to exploit those weaknesses because they're his strengths. But at the minute, we're at a position where we only have one striker. So there's going to be games where Antonio is more effective because you've got, I don't know, weak defenders or uh, people that he can just harry and are poor under pressure and then they concede possession and then we can make counters. Or you're going to have games like the other day where they've got a defence that can handle Antonio and then he's kind of made to look redundant. But if what we should be able to do is in that situation, have someone that goes, okay, well, they've, they can handle Antonio. Now let's bring on the other guy who's going to do something different and give them something else to worry about. And at the minute, we just don't have that. Where I'd like to come to his defence as well. He's got eight goals in the Premier League this year. He's probably on for about 15, maybe more. It's eight from 21 games. Pretty. Before this weekend, third most chances in the Premier League created from open play behind, mm-hmm. five behind Salah, 10 behind Bruno Fernandes. Those are, you know, miles out ahead of anyone outside the top six, by the way. Yeah, yeah, top, he's a top. I mean, in the list he's in, he's he's ahead of Grealish, Alexander Arnold, Bernardo Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne, who joined him in the list of people I had from that point. These are world class talents, and Mikel Antonio. We can't, 
You can't. So, I mean, it's been. A, I mean, I'm pretty sure Payet's probably still. He's not first anymore. Chance to create since he's, he's about third still. No one's had that kind of impact on this team since then. It's you're looking at a player who can who's scoring. I mean, I don't remember the last time a West Ham player had eight. Probably got close to fifteen in a season anymore. Doesn't feel like that happens. It's kind of ten, eleven by the end, I guess. And you're creating chances at a Champions League elite kind of level. That's it. That's the he, he is the reason that people like Bowen are able to be so prolific recently is because okay, he's he might have a few games where he's not scoring, but his movement off the ball is allowing Bowen and stuff to get those chances that he might not get in a game. And that's good balance. And how, that's why it's so impossible to find because how that list of people you've just said, like the fact that he is probably still coming up quite highly in terms of his uh non penalty goal return this season in the Prem, but also is leading in chances created as well. Like there's not Apart from Salah, who, like you say, is probably one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, um, the fact he's in that company is just crazy. And where West Ham, like, if you're looking for a player with that output, you're not going to be able to get him for that sort of for the sort of money that we can afford. Yeah, I, I, the other thing I wanted to say was about the the um, the COVID schedule, just the the impact on the on the scheduling and how that really negatively affects Antonio, because you see. I mean, look at Antonio at the start of this season. Look at Antonio post restart when he is fully fresh, and uh, and had long extended rests. He is impossible to deal with mm-hmm. for for any defence. Um, and I think you know we 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 had the the Norwich game postponement, and then that being um, sandwiched in between two games. And I think some people would have looked at Moise's reaction to that and gone, "That's a bit of a over the." over the top reaction I mean it's what Leeds Norwich Leeds why is that such a big deal it's because we're so reliant on a player like Antonio we're so reliant on him being fully fit and firing um and 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 the impact on him is massive it's disproportionate compared to other players I I think that will tell come the end of the season that we've had a proper December some of our rivals haven't and December's the hardest time part of the season I think it's gonna end up I don't think it's gonna hurt them having those games stacking up because I don't think they're all gonna stack up in cute squashed packages in a month it'll be across eight weeks and I think it's going to comfortably be pushed aside as something that's just happened first time in my life I've ever enjoyed something I saw in a Chelsea program because I saw they'd listed how many of their games they had played since December compared to everyone else in the league we were quite high up but obviously some of their rivals a lot less um if we're talking then what we've been looking at in terms of Antonio replacement competition etc um a name that's come up today, and obviously you two are my transfer boys, especially Cal. Um, Mohamed, Mohamed Bayo's name has kind of resurfaced. There's been rumours around. It's one that has gone up, gone down again. He won't be sold. Oh, he's, he's signed a new contract. That means a bad thing. But actually, the contract means he might be sold because, you know, the games of transfers and the lies that we're told anyway. Uh, it's not, not what I'm massively in favour of. And I know, obviously, you two have written about him so far. This winter, what are your thoughts on Bayo as those links uh, resurface again? Ah, well, <laughs> um, I don't know, man. There's, there's, as with anyone, there's pros and cons to it. I think the pros are that he has uh, proven himself to be a really, really good finisher. Um, I think there was big question marks coming into Ligue 1 this season about whether he would be able to maintain the form that he showed in Ligue 2. Um, and prior to that, he was showing really good form in the third division of French football. And he's stepped up to Ligue 1 and really shown no drop-off at all. 
um, which is which is really impressive, and you've got to give him credit for that. He's uh, I think he's on one in two form at the minute, which is great, and the sort of form that any striker at West Ham would be welcome to to uh, exhibit, which would be great. But um, he's in in line with his xG as well, uh, which is again good. Uh, and his goal conversion shots on target rates are also uh, really impressive and considerably higher than Antonio's. But that's probably as far as it goes for my pros of Bayo, is that, or Bayo, however you want to say it. Um, he doesn't really offer much else. Uh, every other metric is pretty much lower than Antonio's and particularly the important ones. His shot creation is... Um, not quite non-existent, but it, it's not on, on the level of Antonio at all. Um, the one thing we pointed out earlier as being the really outlying metric for Antonio is how many offensive duels he's involved in uh, in a game. And I think at the minute, last time I checked, it was about 17 per 90 across this season. Uh, Bayo is involved in six, which is one offensive duel every 15 minutes, which is just like, that is not Antonio, is it? Like it, That's that's crazy. That's um just couldn't be further from what Antonio is. And he he's not a dribbler. He doesn't he doesn't chart many progressive runs. Um so I guess in the sense of something different, yeah, a different option to bring on, um, a proven finisher. But I just don't see how he would slot very seamlessly into the system. I think it would require a lot of changes around him, and I'm not really willing to compromise on the system we've got at the minute because I think it works really well. I think I might have mentioned it before on the podcast, but if I haven't, you could generally like you, you could have a cap on and be smoking a pipe and be chilling in the box and, and waiting for everyone else to do their job. Um, you know, he's got Jim Alavina there at Claremont to do all of his running for him. So it's it's you know he's he's very uh, his involvement is very limited and he, he sticks sticks around the six yard box in the penalty spot and has a huge impact in those areas, but doesn't really add much else at all. I think he reminds me a lot of um, Eddie and Ketia when he was at Leeds in the Championship. Um, as someone who just didn't have any impact because the team needed him to do more. You know, Bielsa demands that kind of pressing forward and, and, and Ketia was just not the kind of striker they needed at all, um, despite being it's, useful in other ways. It's good that we've been linked regularly to Nketiah, that is. Yeah, well, this is it. It doesn't scream a Moyes attacker either, really, does it? Because the one thing we've said consistently is that Moyes demands effort and then this guy's putting in no effort. I suppose if, you, if, you, if you're looking looking at his, uh, I mean, the two strikers that come to mind that he bought for Everton would be Darren Bent and James Beattie that weren't glamour, but they would do a certain level of defensive work up top and occupy and work hard. He has he, he is, he is kind of repeatedly shown in the past that he will buy a striker more for that than their goal scoring. So you, it would look like Bayo is is the opposite in many in many respects. Yeah, and also I think about other strikers that that he signed that I mean Yakubu or even at uh, was and each of these seemed to follow him around and uh, Louis Sahar I think I remember as well. Just players who were such handfuls and just offered so much other than goal scoring and caused so many other problems. And I think Moise's utilization of strikers in that way is really positive. Um, in that you don't really necessarily need some sort of dead-eyed finisher at the top end of the pitch. Certainly not when you're not in that sort of top six area 
of the league um when when you're when you're looking to sort of push into that as a team below that having someone who offers loads of other things um in that position is is really what you're looking for because those are the players you can buy those are the players who are available to you on the market the dead eye finishers are the are the sebastian allers of the world the people that you pay 45 million pounds for and then you don't have the creative talent around them to be able to make them look brilliant it's just it's it doesn't really work at, at that if level you're not of, looking for the, the final piece i guess in the, in the that say maybe man city are or maybe a manion i don't know a liverpool man united etc even though most of them most of those teams now are going for those i think you've you've said in your articles i, I don't think that line's come up in my head from my own thoughts i'm pretty sure you've put it there <laughs> um that mo- these teams are using these kind of either converted wingers or these more all-round forwards anyway that yeah. was the general trend in the league it, it is to is to use these more dynamic forwards that have much more developed skill sets i think that's the general trend in football to be honest, it with just you. makes you Possible. less predictable, doesn't it? it? It means that your your attack has so much more dynamism to it, and then it's therefore much harder to defend against. It'd be a lot easier to defend against a striker with the quality of the defending that is available in the Premier League. A striker who just kind of chills in the box and he's going to get marked out of most games, I would imagine. But yeah, yeah, I I, I just think look, if you took um, Jim Alavina. And I think it's Rashani um, out of the the Clermont team. I don't think you'd see the same kind of uh, returns for Bayo at all. Um, and I don't think we've got those kind of players or play that kind of way um, that, would, that would enable him to be successful for us. And, and actually, who knows whether he's even got the success, you know, the the, the, the quality to be successful in, in the Premier League. There've been a lot of players like this that have been linked over the years. Dia is one I constantly come back to that people were really excited about Dia. And I was very quick to shoot that one down because again, just quality around him, hot streak, uh, uh, quality of the league, general quality of the actual player just tells you that the, the, the level isn't isn't quite there and that's kind of been proven with the um dear sense and i think you'd see similar with bear but in you you've had you've had 25 days i know you've got names stored up and we'll leave we'll leave six of those uh in the future for, for you to for you to tempt and tease with but if you were looking at kind of a name you've either talked about or not talked about and aren't going to talk about or whoever what who are, you, who are you thinking of? Who would you say would be the, the fit right now? At least at least to give an idea for, for listeners to go and have a look at that kind of player and think that's the kind of attribute or that's the kind of person that would, would fit a mould. He's been linked before, hasn't he, Cal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think we'd probably say uh, Mbolo, Real Mbolo, uh, from back. Um, I love Mbolo. Is, I love Mbolo. I think, yeah, he's great. I think... Um, Got to look at the. You've only got to look at the involvements in the attack. Um, I think uh, Mbolo was, I think so far the only player we've covered that actually has more offensive jewels per ninety than Antonio. I think I might be out on a limb here, but I think he might be top in the top five leagues in Europe for strikers. There you go. Um, which is, yeah, the, the the first thing that sort of caught my attention is, oh, okay, well he he could probably be a, a apt replacement cover successor whatever way you want to look at it uh, and then you look at the rest of his numbers and uh, he, he performs really well across the board actually his shot creation's good um his dribbling's really impressive uh, his finishing has has improved year on year which is a, a really good sign um uh so yeah he, he just seems to to fit numerically but then also i think another key aspect that you can't track in terms of data analysis 
um, is physical profile. Like that's a really important thing for Antonio. It's, it's kind of what makes him so effective is his strength, uh, his raw pace uh, and that sort of stuff. And that's another match uh, on Embolo. Similar heights, uh, similar frames, similar uh, speed, similar strength. Like it just seems to be a perfect fit really for me. Um, and I don't think he would necessarily be that expensive i think he'd probably be attainable for us maybe not this window but uh, a summer move he's one of the of a, a trio it's, it's munch and gladback have the trio don't they that we seem to ram yeah yeah we seem to get linked with one of them kind of every other week <laughs> yeah of a, we, one of those the most suitable of the three and possibly the would the cheapest i mean Taram seems to me like he'd be the one that they would sell for the high high amounts Play would be the cheapest. Embolo uh, is the middle option. I think really what they're looking for is to sell to Ram and continue with Embolo and play. Yeah. That would be their preferred yeah. option, I imagine. Um, but Embolo, I mean, like Cal's talked about how great a match is in some areas, but also, I mean, one of the things that I would absolutely love about it is he's got the flexibility to play anywhere across the front yes. floor. So you could play him with Antonio. So it's not like you'd have to completely limit his game time. He can come in and, and do a job at number 10. He can be a goal scoring 10. He's done that this season for Munch and Gladbach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> madly, he's such a close statistical match to Antonio. As you look at the disc, uh, dispossessions and miscontrols, it's exactly the same. It's exactly yeah. the same. Um, fit and, and and the same drawback. It's the same fitness drawback. Yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. It's a long, long, spotty injury history. And and a lot of people will go, well, 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 well. We don't want you know someone with a with a long spotty injury history. But that really is a drawback to get such a complete player um, yeah. who who hasn't had massive, similar to Antonio, sort of stabilized the fitness issues to smaller injuries. Um, yeah, it's big, in, big ankle to the big ankle injuries i think it was I, I think it you might be right with ankle but it was a big injury when he first moved to yeah. germany um and then repeated instances of, of, of this injury keeping out but i don't think he's had a problem with that injury for no. like 18 months two years maybe even longer no uh, you'll be shocked that i might actually know something about a player you you may know of one player i was arguing over the summer that i really liked and wanted us to sign was brian bolo so i've looked at these <laughs> and the, i think the ankle I think the ankle injury recurred, but it recurred kind of early. And so whether it was not healed properly and something's done. So whether that's yeah. kind of, all, you could almost take, take that as one long injury in a way because it's not quite suffered. So you don't know that that's going to be perfect. Even it, it may have issues in, well, it's hard to tell. Sometimes these players get injuries and it means injuries somewhere else affects how they change their movement and it ends up more injuries, more injuries. But he looks like he's recovering. I think he had an illness injury in one of those time off, if I remember from Transfer Market as well, where people are saying, well, he's missed games. Yeah, but he was ill for four weeks. Yeah. It's a little bit like, it's a a little bit unfair to say he's got fitness issues if he's got the flu. I mean, it's just one of those things that might happen. Um, So yeah, I was delighted to hear that. If I'm going to go to another name that's come up today, different position, but a position we've talked about on and on and on and on. It's a left-sided centre-back. Duya Chilesa who I, like, I, I like, thank you. I know yeah. it's, it, it, it should be noted that I not only asked Jack, but also went to a website to listen to how it was said. That's <laughs> not just because I'm, you know, moved on from what I called Kanate Kanyate the other day. And I've learned a thing or two. I've, this time I've just practiced. Um, yeah. You, you wrote about him today. Um, I, I, as I said, when I kind of discussed the day with you earlier, I obviously that wasn't a coincidence. His name has come strong in through different sources about, possibly linked to a loan mill let alone move marseille want the transfer of anything and it's he's, he's in an odd situation of a player who's looks like he plays well but just isn't particularly favored 
Yeah, it was kind of a weird one when I was doing the research for this one, trying to work out whether it's whether he's got a beef with Sam Paoli or whether he's got a beef with Longoria, because him and Longoria had a very public falling out. Um, just just for anyone who doesn't know who owns Marseille, I'm presuming he's the chairman of Marseille. He's the president. He's, president. he's, he's the director of football at Marseille. He's a he's a bit of a famed character in French football, actually, because he's sort of this the way he dealt with the Villas Boas thing was really mad. Like it's very confrontational style. Um, and they signed and Cham behind Villas Boas's back. Marseille were doing not brilliantly at the time, but had a brilliant season before under yeah, yeah, Villas Boas. And um, and Villas Boas came out and in his press conference and just looked really crestfallen and sort of said, "I didn't want and Cham. I don't. I don't understand. I rejected and Cham." And then he's arrived anyway. The club's making repeated transfer mistakes, the same as the last three years. And uh, and resigned, and then Longoria, being Longoria, instead of like announcing that Villas-Boas had resigned, came out and said, "No, we sacked him before he said he'd resigned. <laughs> so <laughs> he's been suspended, so we can sack him." Um, so it's that sort of very confrontational style, and similar with uh, Chiletta Tsar, who didn't want to leave in the summer. We were very interested. Some people might look that look at that as a bit of an issue because he definitely turned us down um, mm-hmm. in the summer. There um, are some delicate flowers. In our family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but similarly <laughs> confrontational there, it was reported in the local press that Longoria had, had fallen out with Gillette Tsar over that and um and and that the player was going to be um subject to like a disciplinary hearing internally for for refusing to leave um when he was trying when they were trying to force him out um and uh and therefore would be demoted. At the time there were suggestions that he was going to be demoted to uh, the B team, which I think play in like the fourth division in, 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 yeah, in France or, or, or something. So um so there's this, there was this very public falling out with Longoria uh, and not Chiletta Sar's first very public falling out with um a key member of staff. He did have one with the entire Croatian national setup as well um so that that may be a slight issue um he claims that the croatian one was 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 made up um the croatian national teams suggested that he went on holiday uh, rather than coming uh on on international duty and claimed that he'd been told not to go by villas boas but actually wanted to go on holiday um he he says he was told by the club that he couldn't go and and, and just decided to go on a break because he could because he was on a break anyway so why should he be punished for that but anyway he's had these two very public falling outs and then it's difficult to know really now as you said he's not been favoured very much this season should be said he does play nearly every game when they play a back four but somehow he does like the sort of Bielsa style three 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 one thing he doesn't play when when they play that and it's difficult to know whether his beef is is with Sam Pauli or whether it's more with Longoria and that it's just being made very clear to him where the door is um Mm. So, that, so that he definitely leaves in this window. And, and Marseille are now more keen than they've ever been, really, with the transfer ban coming up because of the Pap uh, Gay stuff. Um, they, they desperately want to, to make sales now so they don't lose Kamara and Gelatasar on freeze uh, and, and massively damage their squad without having any chance to, to reinvest in this window. It's interesting that Longarius sounded like a bit of a desperate housewife. Uh, that's... Uh-huh. that's a- that's a great joke. I'm really proud of that. that. Thank you very much. Um, Numbers-wise, then, and, and opinions-wise, we've got the backstory, Cal. What, what, what's the player? Yeah, okay. So he's, he's uh, I suppose, there's three areas in centre-backs that uh, we've kind of focused on uh, in the articles as being really important. Um, obviously, defensive, uh, aerial, and then uh, what their contribution is like in build-up. Uh, and I would say that there's two that he excels in and one that he is less... Um, 
excellent in. Uh, and unfortunately, the one that he is less excellent in is defensively. Um, he seems to be very up and down throughout his career. He's had some seasons where he's been really good. Um, his defensive dual success rates have, have uh, previously been like 70%, which is considerably better than all of our centre-backs bar Zuma. Um, and if Zuma is the benchmark, then, I mean, yeah, you know that they're decent. But um, I think last season and this season, it's been um, nowhere near nowhere near that sort of level. I think I saw one stretch where he was at about 58%, which... 58% of defensive duels for a centre-back is uh, really not not up to scratch at all. Um, and I think it's probably now mid-60s, which is about the same as Ogbonna, um, which might surprise some people because I think he's got a reputation as being a really sterling defender, which he is, but um, his actual on-the-ground duel sort of level is, is not um, as impressive as we might all assume. Um so yeah, defensively, there's a lot left to be desired. I mean, he's 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 no he's by no means like a terrible defender, but I don't think um, he would be. His numbers aren't at the level that I would like a centre back that we're targeting to come are in they, as a marked they, improvement. Are they better than um, Diaz? Uh, they're actually surprisingly similar um, in defensive duels, but there's his miscontrols and like his mistakes leading to uh, losses of possession are considerably lower, which I think is what gets Diop the really bad rep is his lack of concentration in possession. His actual tackling and stuff isn't that bad and has never been that no, bad being uh, throughout his career. No, no, it's right that it's right to point it out, and, it, and it's the sort of numbers that you don't necessarily tend to look at. But those sort of miscontrols and stuff are really important for a team like us who can struggle in possession at the back. Um, but yeah, I think so. Defensively, not amazing. Aerially, on the other hand, ridiculous. Uh, he's in, insanely good. Uh, one of the best. In, yeah, one of the best in Europe. Uh, it's like sixty-eight point five last season. There was seventy-five percent of aerial duels he won. Uh, but he is six foot four, so I suppose that is an advantage. Um, but not everyone who's tall is good in the air, as Diop has proven. Uh, <laughs> they're actually the same height. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and then where he really, really does shine, and I think this is what he gets a lot of the attention for, um, and rightly so because he is excellent at it, but is his passing, uh, his range of passing, uh, the effectiveness of his passing is is crazy. He's consistently posted 90% uh, pass success rates. Um, he's a very frequent progressive passer um, and his progressive passing success is up there in the 80s, which is, is crazy. Um, so to have someone who uh, is recording like double the amount of successful progressive passes than any of our centre-backs would, would undoubtedly be a, a really solid acquisition in, in an area of the pitch that we really do need to upgrade in. Um, but I think as much as he would bring in build-up, I would probably be looking to hopefully bring in someone who can do both. Um, there are people out there. We've looked at Senesi, who is uh, as good progressively as uh, Chaleta Sar is, but is also turning out 75% defensive dual success rate uh, and is as good in the air. So there are players out there who would probably come in a similar price point. Senesi perhaps slightly more expensive. Um, but I just am of the opinion that if we're going to bring in a defender to replace a defender who is really bad at defending, we should bring in a defender who is really good at defending. Otherwise, how much of an improvement is it? You can know you can know all the Latin analytics of the world, but that sentence is <laughs> simplified and correct, isn't it? Oh, Jack, you've got the, the tactical. Is there anything in how he would fit into a Moyes team? Is it is he being asked to defend slightly differently at Marseille? I don't know. You, you know, I'm 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 pushing you hard there to to basically have an understanding of all of Marseille's play, which is a little bit unfair. <laughs> I, um, but also, 
you, you know, Moyes, Moyes probably, you'd expect Moyes to be getting, he's a good coach for defenders, in, in at least it feels like he is, to get more out of them as well. No, he's definitely a good coach for defenders. He's got a wonderful track record with defenders. Frankly, he's awesome. got a wonderful track record with, with most positions. Look at his track record with left-backs. Look at his track record with mm. strikers. He's pretty good across the board, really. Um, defensive midfielders, the same. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think you can point to Moises' coaching as being something that would would help develop him. I I must admit, like, I haven't had huge amounts of time to, to watch Jorge Sampaoli at, at Marseille. I've probably seen about four or five games, and then half of those have been called off due to things being thrown on the pitch. So I've probably only caught, you know... Uh, <laughs> 45 minutes here or there when you are catching them so yeah um which 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 has been frustrating because it would have been nice to, to have seen more of him this season and then sometimes when i've watched them they've been playing the three backs so he's not even been there so you know it's yeah. been difficult to actually see him play for san paoli's marseille um but uh we did we did talk about the tactics um a little bit in the article and that was more really about sort of stylistic similarities to zuma and the fact that both so Zuma records a very low number of pressures uh, per ninety. He's, a, he's he's more of a passive defender in that he allows the striker to receive the ball and then time to tackle very well and then is very successful when he does that. Um, he's not necessarily someone who's super proactive. So I kind of I, I talk about this in the article, but the comparison, which is not on level, but in terms of sort of the approach of having two centre backs and how they function together. If you look at Matip and Van Dijk, who have been really successful together at Liverpool, you have one who goes and one who, who stays, and and the one who stays has the athleticism to do the covering and also the timing of the tackle and all of that stuff. And Zoom is very much that guy for us, I think, in that sort of Van Dijk mould. And then Chaleta Sar has a, the lowest pressures of any centre-back in Liga. He's the least aggressive defender in Liga. So I'm not saying you can't do this. You absolutely can do this. But in my head, I am sort of struggling to see how it works when you have two centre-backs who retreat, both retreat. And then if Chaleta Sar was an excellent tackler, then I can see it. Okay, they both retreat, but they're brilliant at timing their tackles. But they both retreat, and then Chaleta Sar is absolutely terrible in the tackle. Um, I know, Cal, you were quite kind in terms of talking about his defensive dual success rate, because that includes a lot of other things. Yeah. But when you're looking at him directly against dribblers, like it has improved this season, but then he's only, it's a small sample size, he's only played a handful of games. 33 games last season, 43% dribblers tackled, which is absurdly low uh, for a centre-back who's as hyped as he is. Um, so there's this kind of horrible image in my mind of someone who backs off, backs off and backs off and then doesn't get the tackle right. And then there isn't the time for the, yeah, for the, for, for the partner to, to recover. So obviously there are aspects to his game that are very strong, but I, my biggest question mark over him isn't really about him as a player. It's is Zuma the right partner for him? Mm-hmm. I suppose it's, it's that, that interesting. I do, does like Bonner do that? work that you would want one of the two to be doing in that partnership does Ogbonna go and engage no Ogbonna doesn't engage but again I think Ogbonna and Ogbonna's got really low stats for for, yeah. for for being dribble pass and stuff but I think one of the things that doesn't come up at all for Ogbonna and it's something you can't really track analytically is his experience in decision making is just on such a high level compared to to, to loads of centre-backs really and 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 that isn't tracked at all and I think really with that level of experience and, and how well he handles himself against most strikers in the Premier League, you can kind of put him with anyone because he's got that kind of seasoned, grizzled 
professional kind of thing. Older uh, centre back kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I think Duya Chalatasar, younger and, and probably needs someone with him who's got the experience of the league and stuff. And I don't, I, I, Zuma is that, but I don't really know if the two would would work that brilliantly together. And if you look at how he's been, where, where he's been successful this season, he's been partnered with William Saliba, who has been absolutely magnificent for 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 Marseille this season and is a proactive um defender so i i don't know I, I he's a good player um and his passing would definitely bring us a lot and he's an absolute monster in the air um but i'm not entirely sure that he's got all the attributes to bring the best out of Kurt Zuma who i do see as a really seriously elite premier league center back for for 7 or 8 years to come well that is that's kind of where we are and what we're we're done with we've got um a week, I suppose, six days, six busy days for you as that comes to an end. Um, we don't know what we're coming back with next week quite yet, do we? We, we haven't got a game. Well, we know I what we're just... doing uh, in, a, in, in, in six days. From <laughs> You know what we are. We've got a, a bit of a free hit for us because there's no game next week. So we can, we can be a little bit creative with the podcast. And I'll show you on Kenta Hooks already. What are we going to do? Crazy <laughs> it's going to be an all visual medium. It's just going to be done by dance. No, it, <laughs> it gives us the chance to, to really go deep on transfers, probably have a look around, not just us, but the teams around as well and just see what's happened. Um, and... It's obviously going to be a crazy week. I, I will like to let you know that I, I did pitch discussing at one point Jesse Lingard, but the panel have disagreed with me and they're kind of tired <laughs> of Jesse Lingard. So we may ha- we may have to were things to happen, but if if not, we'll just we'll just you know we've all watched him. He played for us. You kind of know what he is. You'll be all right, I reckon. Um, so until next week and our mime only podcast. <laughs> I can wish you all a, uh, a pleasant evening and we will see you next time. Good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> That's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons. <laughs> <laughs>